0: Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. I am Bobby Sue Doyle-Hazard, and this week I had the pleasure of speaking with Shelley Boyam-Breen. Uh, She's a children's book author, a native of Brainerd, Minnesota, where she grew up with aspirations of playing professional sports. She spent countless hours on the basketball court, neighborhood hockey rinks, and local golf courses. Boyam Breen received her B.A. from Augsburg College in Minneapolis and her M.S. in leadership from Capella University. She spent five years in the education field, coaching college and high school basketball and tennis. Boyam Breen then worked with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Lynx organization. She served with the organization for four years and later moved into a sales consulting role serving the Lynx, the New York Liberty, and the 10th anniversary WNBA All-Star Game at Madison Square Garden. Before writing the Shelly Bean series, Boyam Breen was the founder of the foundation of Foundation Nine and the Let Me Play grants, supporting Minnesota girls' participation in sports and fitness. She um, credits sports to paving her path in life and building her character as well as her leadership skills. And she would never want a young woman to be prevented from experiencing those things because of her family's financial situation. So those grants, um, now under the Bancroft, um, organization, um, help Young women's who uh, young women who would like to participate in sports, but um, you know there's a cost associated, and they can't um, you know afford it. The family can't afford it. With the Shelly Bean, the sports queen, books and let me play grants, um, she's able to. You know, show girls that they can uh, overcome obstacles in sports and also um, their financial situations and give boys a strong female role model. Uh, Shelly is so much fun to talk to and um i think we're kindred spirits uh her books are these beautiful children's books um the shelly being the sports queen series um and all the characters are super diverse which i love and uh shelly's you know path Per usual is not usual, so um, we talk a lot about that and what she's doing now and what she's looking forward to in the future, um, and why this book series was so important for her to to start. And so, I really hope you enjoy this interview with Shelley Boyum Breen. Hey, Shelley. Good morning. Thank you for coming on to the podcast. Very happy to be
1: here. Honored.
0: Um, how how are you dealing with uh, Minnesota weather after just being in Hawaii for like ten days? <laughs> uh,
1: pretty big contrast, but I will. I'll try and make a positive spin to it and say. Um, being in Hawaii prepared me emotionally to be able to accept our Minnesota winter once again. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling calm and warm in my heart. How's that
0: sound? <laughs> that is such a stretch, but good. Good job. Thank I you. like it. Thank you. Whatever works for you. I don't it's think different. so, you just basically
1: don't go outside. And then there are the um the renegades who this is what they love and they'll go outside and ice fish and Go for a walk and you know do all those things. Today is not that day for me. No. But sometimes.
0: Well. Good for you. I have my heat on and I'm in Tampa.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> <It's> different.
0: <laughs> um, it is fairly cold for Tampa right now. It's like in the 40s. So.
1: I got nothing for you. I know. <laughs> perfect running weather, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so good luck to you on that.
0: Yeah, well, you know, once you move down from the Northeast, <laughs> you're, you're pretty much a lightweight. Uh-huh. Um, how did you fall in love with sports?
1: Oh, you know, the, I, I do a lot of um, school visits in elementary school, so the kids ask me this all the time. Um, the only way my brothers really would allow me to play with them was if I would play catch or if I would be the thing they were throwing around. Um, so I have four brothers who are uh, all older than me, and it was really my gateway into spending some time with them. And uh, then that the same age group of kids in my neighborhood were all boys, and um, it's just what we did.
0: What were the, the sports that, as you got older you specialized in i guess is the way to term it
1: (laughs) sure i mean i yeah i I played everything i possibly could play um but the caveat is that most of the time i wasn't on a team um so i would like to say that i was the best running back in football um in the woodcrest neighborhood (laughs) brainerd minnesota um (laughs) You know, for all five of us that were playing three-on-two football or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I wasn't actually allowed to play um, football. uh, And that was really what I wanted to play, football and hockey. Um, There was one girl in our town that was playing hockey. um, But unfortunately, my parents were, uh, I think, afraid that I was going to get hurt. Um, And so I did not play football or hockey as I had wanted. um, But basketball was really my main sport, um, and I played um, I played up uh, most of my life, and then um, golf, tennis, and a little bit of volleyball. And as a matter of fact, uh, in college, I played three sports. I played basketball, golf, and I found rugby uh, oh, my first yeah. year. Yeah, which rugby also ended my basketball career, so it was a bittersweet thing.
0: So... Golf in Minnesota? Yeah, it's
1: seasonal, right? Um, but I, I, I think I had my first golf club in my hand when I was like four years old. So super privileged to. I, I played in the junior league every Tuesday and Thursday morning. And uh, one of my first jobs was hanging out at the golf course and, you know, cleaning the golf carts and <laughs> sneaking in behind the concession stand and you know, filling up my friend's sodas and, you know, going out to the driving range and picking up balls. So I, I loved being out on the golf course. And, and that's one of my, one of my first homes.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Um,
1: but yes, we don't play golf here in the winter.
0: Well, right. That would be yeah, yeah, painful.
1: And that's what I would go to the gym and play basketball as much as I possibly could.
0: Did, um, when you were thinking of where to go for college, um, was sports part of that calculation?
1: Absolutely, um, and almost in a reverse sense. Um, so I was recruited to play college basketball um, at a couple of Division One schools, a number of Division Two schools, and then D three. Um, and I really didn't know anything about the recruiting process, nor did anybody around me. Um, so it was actually a, a really scary, stressful process for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though I had uh, the offer to have my college paid for, frankly, I was scared. Um, and I decided to go with a Division three school um, where I had a relationship with the coach um, from summer camps. And uh, I thought he might do the best job looking out for me as I went to college. Um, And so I started out at the College of St. Benedict in uh, central Minnesota. Um, And I played basketball there for a year and a half um, and golf and a little bit of rugby, um, but then had a back injury that ended my playing career Mm. Uh, and eventually transferred to another school where I started coaching.
0: Um, And... You you focused when you were at College of Saint Benedict. You focused on education. When did you know that you wanted to do something with education? I think so many people. It's funny. After doing so many of these, there are some people who were like, "I had no idea what the hell I wanted to do," hmm. and then there are others who were like, "I woke up knowing I was meant to be X." <laughs> you know, like I was born knowing this is what I was going to do. Um, what was what was that like for you?
1: I had some really influential coaches in my life, uh, growing up and they were also teachers. And so it was just a, it was a no brainer for me that I wanted to help influence kids like they influenced me. Um, two women that were my golf coaches, uh, one female was my tennis coach and then my two basketball coaches, um, who are men. And so I knew I wanted to be educating. I knew I wanted to look at coaching because I just couldn't imagine not having sports in my life somehow. Um, And especially with kids. It was my playing, being in the gym was my sanctuary. It was my stress relief. Um, It's where I felt the safest. Um, And that's where all my relationships were truly established. And so I I knew that was the path somehow that I wanted to take initially.
0: It's funny, you and I were, we're just talking off air about some very personal things. And the more you and I talk, the more I, I feel we are like kindred spirits because for me, you know, my coach in high school and, and the teachers that I had in like middle school and high school, um, there were some that I just like really connected with in that, um, I sought out, in more than just a teacher way, and I don't mean that in like an inappropriate way, but I just mean like right. there were things I weren't getting at home. I wasn't getting at home, and yeah. and I did it with my friends' parents too. Like I was like that weird kid that like hung out with the adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like or you know, just like and it's even it's continued on in my life. Like I am often adopted by my friends' families you know, um, so I very much understand the, the influence that, that, um, those relationships can have. And, you know, I, I love that that is what propelled you into, um, your roles, you know, and, and why you ended up with, you know, physical education degree.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really had some, Uh, impactful people who were trusted sources and um, they, they took great responsibility in how I looked up to them, I believe. Um, And I know that because I know that they, um, they didn't violate anything. They took care of me. Right. And frankly, I chose, I I started out considering elementary education um, and I had a class. This is the irony of my life I had a class where um, we actually had to create a children's book um, as part of the project of at the end of the unit. And um, I, I can't draw a stick figure if my life depended <laughs> on. I mean, seriously, when I wrote letters to my uh, daughters when they were at summer camp, they didn't know if I was drawing a picture of a dog or a tiger or a lion. <laughs> um, so I did this project and I turned it in and it was excruciatingly painful for me. Um, and the feedback was literally, Shelly, can you step in my office? And uh, this uh, nun decided to tell me that she thought I should go a different route. Elementary education really wasn't for me
0: oh based gosh. on this
1: project. Yeah. And um, and now I'm a <laughs> children's book author. Right. So I love the irony of that. But I will also say that she probably wasn't wrong at the time yeah. either. Um, but I had a, a career-ending back injury when I was a sophomore in college, and it, it just crushed me, and I wasn't able to play sports anymore for a significant period of time, and that was when I knew I wanted to learn how to use my body, and I wanted to teach kids how to um, understand and respect their bodies and use them, and so that's when I said, I need to go into physical education. And so that, that, that was the true pivotal moment was my
0: back injury. And that's also when you started coaching, Um uh, mm-hmm. when you got to, was it Augsburg? Yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting because I don't know of many, um, students who end up as a co-head coach.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I don't recommend it. it. It's a little stressful. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that was my junior year of college. Uh, we were in Minneapolis, uh, Augsburg College's Division three school. And um, I was the student assistant. And the assistant coach had a full-time job managing a footlocker uh, at Mall of America. <laughs> and uh, the head coach obviously had his full-time job as the head coach. And we went home for Christmas break and came back. And the athletic director told the uh, assistant coach and I that the head coach decided he wasn't coming back. I mean, he literally just walked off the job. <laughs> and um, so she said to the, the other gal, you know, I'd like you to be the head coach. And she said, I, I've got a full time job. Like I manage this footlocker and, you know, I'm a full time student. I live right by campus. And so the responsibility was on me to manage the team and do any recruiting. Um, but the title and the pay went to the other assistant coach. Um, and I saw it as a, an opportunity to gain some experience, let's say. My, my job really was to make sure that we uh, had a team by the end of the season.
0: I mean, talk, <laughs> talk about... Oh, God, I have so many thoughts on this regarding the NCAA and how it doesn't, you know, really do anything for its athletes. And then you've got a a full time student who isn't getting paid to do the work. It's just nonsense. And I'm going to leave that for another time (laughs) (laughs) because I feel like I I could go on forever. And then I get hate mail and people. It's like a whole thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I I like to just truly look at it as a wow. Once more, Shelley Boy and Breen, you had a unique experience
0: unlike me. <laughs> right. No, and, and it's, I, listen, it's I, it's been gr- in <laughs> yeah, and it's great, right? It's from an experience standpoint, it's great. From a uh, like, hey, let's maybe fairly pay our people, not so much, but at the time, especially, you know, I mean, we're talking, you know. A few years ago, um, <laughs> thank you. It wasn't, you know, we weren't at the stage of. Well, I wasn't aware, and and I, you know, we didn't have the interwebs, um, so you know, it, it wasn't such a thing, right? The 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 view of the NCAA and and how it treats, you know, the student athlete and and things like that weren't weren't quite the major, um, issues of the time.
1: That's, that's so true. And, and, and I will just say that I was, you know, 21 years old and, um, I didn't know necessarily how to ask for additional resources. So I truly saw it as an opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I, I had big dreams of becoming a division one, uh, head coach. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, it's going to happen sooner than I thought. Because I got this catalyst happening. It didn't, but that's a different story.
0: But it could have. I mean, and that's a a great way to view it, right? Yeah. Although I think it's interesting um, for people who are as resourceful as like you and I uh, Mm -hmm. in other areas of our lives, asking for more money or for like, we're never taught those skills. You know, and I think, and I think, I think this happens a lot with women, um, particularly those who come from families that aren't, um, that are more blue collar. Right. Definitely. Um, but you know, to like, looking back on it, you're like, man, I had so much leverage then.
1: (laughs) right, right. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Like.
1: Wow. There, there was more opportunity than yeah. I was aware of. And um, as a female being raised in this society and in Minnesota at the time, um, there wasn't anybody who taught me because I did need to be taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, there wasn't anybody who taught me uh, what my worth or my value was mm-hmm. and to request it, require it, demand it, whatever language you want to choose.
0: Right.
1: Now at 44, I know that. Um, And I know how to do that. It doesn't mean I'm going to get it, but at least I know how to um, require it. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm grateful for I've learned.
0: Yeah. And it Uh, it it can take a while. It takes a while. I mean, I'm still learning it and I'm almost 38. (laughs) I had to think again. See, I totally don't know how old I am. Um,
1: Yeah. Are almost 38. That means that right now, in this present day, you are 37 years old.
0: Thank you. I don't know why I do that. I always round up. It's the weirdest thing. No other woman in the world does this. No, Uh, that's
1: not true. That's not true. (laughs) You are not alone in this.
0: (laughs) But, you know, that's something I'm still figuring out. And, and I'm a it's actually like a theme of my year this year that i made for myself was like, you know, worth and value. And, mm. but it's something that I advocate for, you know, my mentees all the time. I'm like, you need to ask for more money. You need, you know, here and I walk them through it. And somehow when it comes to myself, right. It's, mm. it's that like, I don't know what it is, but we're going on a yeah. tangent, but there we go. <laughs> That's
1: how we started off air.
0: It It really is. Um, So you went straight into teaching for a few years, and at the high school level, um, and you were also coaching. Did you find that your experience with like recruiting and stuff like that helped you um, with your student athletes and as they looked at you know what to do with their futures
1: yes absolutely um some of the things that i learned with the recruiting process um well i'll also say that while i was coaching and teaching at the high school level um i did a um small home-based sales business um where i was (laughs) yeah I, i started my sales career early as well so i was learning how to sell like healthcare products from my home, you know, like, um, calling up my friends and family and saying, I've got this great antioxidant. I think you should try what? kind of deal. Uh, the company was called market America. And, uh, and so I was doing all this sales on the side, trying to make a little extra income.
0: Was it like an MLM? Yeah, it was very similar to that. Okay. Thank
1: you. i didn't come up with the terminology. Sorry. Just uh,
0: multi-level marketing for people you listening. Yeah, very
1: similar. Um, but they had fantastic training and support mm. to teach you how to find what people need and want and then create a solution for them. And with their products, they felt they had a solution. So I took that mentality into my students and my athletes um, and really helped me uh ask important questions and get to know them for real. What do they need? What do they want? Um, So I I felt like that was really helpful for me in establishing relationships and trust. Um, I believe that I am not good at X's and O's. Um, I am not a strong um, play caller, Um, but I can execute a play and I can really break down the the tactics of the game or the, um, the skill development. Um, and so it was easier for me to coach each player individually Mm -hmm. than it was to manage a game, if that makes
0: sense. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it being in sports of, I've seen that, you know, and, uh, and even at very high levels, you see that, um, yeah. That's interesting, though. You know, I never really thought about how sales training, if done well, can could help in like these other areas, right? Like, obviously, from a networking standpoint, I get it, um, but I don't think I ever thought about it with regards to like teaching or coaching or
1: sure. And it's me, it's well, so important. Yeah. I mean, if, if a, the person across from you or on the other line feels heard, their their walls will come down, um, the relationship is more easily established, and it's very clear and transparent if it's authentic or not. Um, and to me, that's how we we reach people. We help them feel seen and heard. Um and there's no doubt, I'm not sugarcoating that there's some manipulation in that, mm-hmm. but um, how bad is it for somebody to feel seen and heard right, um, in the process? Um, and so that's really kind of the the direction that I try to take with relationship
0: building. You're very good at it too. I think just you. In, our, in our limited interactions, you're... It, it, I was remarking to somebody recently how like I got off the phone with you for a little intro call. I was so excited. And then like five minutes later, there were three intro emails like in my inbox with, uh, some pretty amazing women who are going to join, um, the tribe here, which will be fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way. and, And I felt that way too. I I prefer to have um, a smaller tribe that mm. I'm deeply connected with than um, surface level relationships with a lot of people. Oh, sure. Uh, and that helps me stay true and authentic to the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, with my book series, I, I want every child to somehow see themselves in books. And that's kind of the path that I'm on. And it's it's personal to me because that's what I was craving and didn't know it myself.
0: Right. We're definitely going to get into the books because, and that exact point about all kids being able to see themselves, because I think you do that really, really well. Mm. Um, How did you get connected with the Timberwolves and the Lynx?
1: I had an awesome experience um, when, well, when the WNBA was launched, I was so incredibly geeked out, even though Minnesota didn't <laughs> have team. Um, I, I don't remember how I got this um, WNBA t-shirt, but I wore it all summer for two summers. Like <laughs> it was like the coolest branded gear I could have imagined ever owning. Um, and I was a, a new teacher and coach at the time. So, I was completely geeked out about the whole
0: thing. Can I tell you what Uh, I have from there? From then? Yeah. So, my um, UMass uh, is where I went for undergrad, their sport management program, which is phenomenal, right? And we, in like one of the marketing classes or something, did a project for the W. And I still have, and I will still sometimes take it with me on like interviews and things. um, The, you know, those like legal pad portfolios. Um, yeah. And it is basketball material on the outside. Yes, and I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it's WNBA, not NBA.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
0: I, ref- that's a- I refuse to get rid of it. Marie Kondo, that brings me joy. <laughs> that's
1: so awesome. <awful. laughs> I can feel it right now. Like as you're talking about it, I remember holding one of those oh, later on. Yeah,
0: and at that time, like so cool. Yeah,
1: cool.
0: I'm kind of jealous of your shirt. I'm not going to lie. Although I think I think the portfolio has lost it longer than a shirt would have.
1: Yeah, I don't know where the shirt is, and I'm really actually sad about it. now Oh oh, no! (laughs) I might need a minute. (laughs) All right, I'm back. Okay. Uh, Okay. Um, so when the, I think the Lynx did a brilliant job of engaging the high school and college coaching community, the youth basketball community, um, in the launch of the Lynx. And there was a handful of us that were invited to be coaches at the inaugural training camp. And so I got to manage, uh, multiple teams of these, um, women who were coming in from all around the country and from Europe who were hoping to get a spot on the new Lynx roster. And so that was my first introduction to the Lynx was I got to coach at the training camp, which was amazing.
0: Oh my God.
1: Um, and then later, a couple years later, a few years later, my uh, teaching job, um, our governor at the time decided that physical education um, could be scaled back, mm-hmm. and uh, my job went to part-time and eventually was basically phased out. Um, and so I was uh, newly married and didn't have a job, and so I called a contact at the links and said, got anything for me? <laughs> uh, and, and I started out as a sales rep selling youth basketball Clinics and court time for the Timberwolves and Lynx, mostly the Timberwolves. Wow. Yeah, I was I was it was peanuts. I got paid nothing, um, but it was and it you know sixty hour weeks and working during everybody's recreational time, and um, that was my my entrance in. And I'm so incredibly grateful for it.
0: As Valentine's Day approaches and the lovebirds begin to sing and everyone gets engaged, except me, but that's a whole separate ad, take my advice and visit Zola. Zola takes the stress out of wedding planning with free wedding websites, your dream wedding registry, affordable save-the-dates and invitations, and easy-to-use planning tools. First, you get to create a customized wedding website. It's super easy with hundreds of designs. You can add all sorts of info, including, uh, and this is one of the favorite parts for me, an FAQ section. So questions like, can I bring my kids? Is it open bar? do i have to wear pants Um, can all be on that website then you build your dream registry which goes right on the wedding website so guests can get all the details they need and buy your wedding gifts in one convenient and beautiful place the zola store has over 500 top brands from cuisinart to sonos and airbnb you can also create a fund for your honeymoon future home new kitten anything you want I checked it out and there are just so many options. As a guest, I would love, love, love the free shipping and returns, price matching, and more. To start your free wedding website and to get fifty dollars off your registry on Zola, go to Zola.com slash leveling. That's Z-O-L-A dot com slash leveling for fifty dollars off your registry. That had to be such a an interesting change for you, um, you know, going from teaching and, and helping to mold impressionable young minds to needing to hit numbers and, um, you know, put yourself in a, a different setting.
1: I got to tell you that the, the biggest cultural shift for me, I remember the very first day We had, we started out with, you know, kind of a a training with HR. And then there were two other sales reps that were starting the same day. And our boss said, you know, let's say it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Hey, all right. You guys want to, you know, go across the street and grab some lunch. And I'm like having a visceral reaction to this right now because we, we walked outside in downtown Minneapolis and we went to lunch and he decided the time and, why I'm telling you this is because my entire life, my lunchtime had been determined by the school bell, and no bell had rung saying oh, it's okay. your time. Like it was just yeah. mind-boggling to me that we were. I felt like we were escaping. You know, we were going off campus. Like this was Illicit. this new. Yeah, that I had. it was amazing. <laughs> uh, but it also the. The, the secondary shift for me that was so incredibly impactful was that as a teacher and coach, um, I was not fully out of the closet. And um, as a gay woman, that was horrible. And I wasn't able to be the role model that I truly wanted to be for my students. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I took this job with the Timberwolves and Lynx, I decided no longer I'm going to own my true authenticity all the way through morning, noon, and night. And so I was also coming into this new skin, which was terrifying and amazing.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And talk about a lot of change at once. Yeah, yeah. But the the amount of confidence that must have given you to be able to do that and to feel like you could do that. Um, so I, I, yeah, so empowering.
1: yeah. And so scary. Sure. And so worth it.
0: Yeah. Wow. I just
1: can't go ever going back. You know, it was, yeah, it, it was like, um, you know, I was, I was 29 years old and said, all right, let's see what's next for me. I didn't believe that this would be forever. I just knew that this was the next step in my life. And then we'll see what happens.
0: How did you, um, how did you come up with the idea for Foundation 9, um, which has now kind of moved into the, well, not kind of, has moved into the Anne Bancroft Foundation, um, but before, how, I mean, you were the founder of Foundation 9. How did you come up with that? Can you talk a little about what it was?
1: Yeah. So, um, about eight months into my job with the Timberwolves and Lynx, um, we, I was so fortunate to have a, a boss who saw my passion for the WNBA team, um, and my skills and was willing to take a risk. Um, so Bryant Pfeiffer, um, was really instrumental in boosting my confidence and, and helping open a door for me. And I say that because, um, we started together the first Lynx dedicated sales department. Um, so no longer did we have uh, Timberwolves goals, but we were focused specifically on the women's team. Mm-hmm. And the organization didn't have that at the time. But uh, as I moved into that role and you know hired a staff and everything, um, that required a, you know even greater amount of networking within the Minnesota community. And um, I was invited to read grant um, applications for the Anne Bancroft Foundation. And um, the Anne Bancroft Foundation, uh, Anne is an amazing human being, number one. Um, Premier polar explorer, female extraordinaire. But what they were doing was helping girls with their dreams in Minnesota. So if they wanted to do a leadership camp or take music lessons, or they had an idea for a community service project, um, they could uh, apply for a grant to get support for that and get connected with a mentor. So as I was sitting on this grant committee uh, and then looking at um, the role that uh, I was playing with the Minnesota Lynx, at that same time, my stepdaughter, who was in eighth grade, fell in love with volleyball. And I was so disconnected from what was happening in the volleyball space at the time. Um, I was just excited that she loved volleyball and she'd found a sport.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And so um, she said, you know, next year, I'm going to be at the high school and uh, I want to try out for the high school team. And we said, "Okay, what does that take? And she said, well, I've got to play junior Olympic volleyball in the offseason. All right. We're in. Let's say more about that. And she said, well, if I make the elite squad it's $3,200 but if I don't it's only $800 and my jaw dropped went, you, I mean you've got to be kidding me this is $800 for making the, the quote unquote B squad yeah. and you know my wife and I looked at each other and went well we have resources so we'll figure it out but secretly behind my back it was kind of crossing my fingers that she didn't make the elite squad and I thought about how many girls were out there who would love the opportunity and frankly needed to be playing sports, but didn't even bother trying because the cost was such a barrier for them. And so I decided uh, to try and do my part. And so I created the Let Me Play grants. Um, Foundation nine is, you know, the Roman numeral nine It was a tribute to title nine. And the goal was to help girls in Minnesota um, to be able to afford to play, uh, help pay for their participation fees, their equipment costs, um, whether they were just starting to try a sport or maybe some life experience happened within their family unit that they needed help to be able to continue playing. Uh, And so that was my way of, of giving back.
0: Wow, I mean first of all thirty two hundred dollars uh what yeah i um when when we were in when I was in high school, my sister and I were in high school she's two years younger than me um it's the first it was the first time that they started um participation fees for high school sports mm. and it was i don't know maybe like 75 bucks a, se- yeah. a season right capped at a total of whatever for a family and but i just remember we had to we had to ask for a waiver from yeah. for just that and we ran so it's not like our sport required tons of equipment right i mean shoes and yeah you know, and basics right but like in order for us to go to running camp in the summer, which, yes, everyone, it sounds super exciting, kind of like band camp, except way cooler. <laughs> Just want to point that, that out. A, way that cooler. A yes. Uh, I loved running camp. Um, but, like, we had to volunteer at different things, um, you know, like selling Christmas trees and, you know, those little types of... Fundraiser type things to get quote unquote credit, you know, against our what we'd have to pay.
1: Yeah. And yeah.
0: so I cannot imagine, you know, and I'm thankful that that's the type of sport we got involved with because I don't know that we would have been able to participate in any other sport. Yeah. Um, but like, I can't imagine needing $3,200.
1: Yeah, it, I mean it's it's a no brainer, right? It, it's it's it, off the table,
0: and that I'm guessing doesn't include like travel and accommodations for the family to go to you know these meets, you know, or matches. What do they call them? Games, matches?
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't
0: know, volleyball that, yeah. match. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, for like the family and stuff too, right? So if you want to be there for your, you know, f- your your child, like. There's more money.
1: Well, listen, let me let me tell you, I, I there is a family that is in my life that is very close to me. And um, they are dealing with this on a regular basis with their sons, um, where their dad uh, is struggling to go to all the events because they they he scrounged up all the pennies he could with help from others to even pay the, the fee mm-hmm. for the boys to do these sports but it's $10 to get in the door to watch the kid for the weekend on Saturday. And then if you want to go to the game on Sunday, it's another $10, you know, that's that it's, and I get, we need, people need to get paid. Facilities need to be run. You know, I, I totally get it. And, um, I just know that we need to have a lot of opportunities for people to be able to access these things mm-hmm. when it's not um, it's not in their life to be able to access that. And it also requires them to ask for help and right. that it's not that is not easy, you know, depending on the social construct or the family construct. That is not an easy thing to do as well. Right. So i mean- asking for a waiver or knowing even knowing, those aren't advertised. You need to know that that waiver exists.
0: I I remember feeling so, like, ashamed when mm. I'd have to give that to the athletic director. You know, there like, you and, and he was a sweet, sweet man. Like, you know, he, and my coach, I think, is the one who, told us or maybe maybe it was advertised because it was school wide, right? But yeah. like you know, yeah, you you yeah. this goes back to some of the conversation we had off, offline actually. You know, yeah. like you you there are so many um, hurdles, whether they're um, actually finding out the information or, like you said, the, the emotional and, and psychological hurdles that um, stand in the way sometimes. And to have the opportunity to um, get a, a grant or a scholarship or whatever you want to call it in whatever context, um, yeah. to help with those is, is so fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I hear your your shame on that, yeah. um, because what I've known about my life is that I I grew up privileged. I grew up with access. I grew up in an upper middle class family, um, and I my parents allowed me to go to any camp I wanted or needed, and without that, I would not be alive. Like I know that sports saved my life, that they kept me as safe as I could be, that it was an outlet for me, that I learned my networks, I learned my self-worth through sports. So I just, I can't imagine not doing something about that for other girls and frankly for boys too.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think same for me, right? I've talked about, you know, how I remember my, uh, Winter of my freshman year, I, I dropped out of winter track, um, which, like, <laughs> indoor track is, like, I don't know. It's a weird sport. And started hanging out again with this group that wasn't really great, right? They they weren't on a good path, quote-unquote. And, yeah. um, you know, my coach, like, being like, you've got this season. Like, do what you need to do, but you're back on the track or you're you're out like wow. come spring. Yeah. And you know and he like kept checking in with me and um wow. Yeah. And it like I don't know where I would have gone, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean that's that's the power of that role. Mhm. that he had and that responsibility that he took on.
0: That's yeah. amazing. And I'm and so listen, glad. he is not a saint and was sometimes an ass. <laughs> as all coaches can be. Um, And some people had, you know, got along with him better than others. Like, some of that strictness I needed, even though it was very strict at home. But uh, as my freshman year of college proved, um, just letting the reins go is probably not the best idea in that situation. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's fine. Yeah. How like how did you find the time while you were you know you had your full time job you had your family? Um, I know this is like a question women get and it's so obnoxious, but I would ask a dude this too. Like, how did you find the time to do all of that and and start this foundation?
1: Uh, I'm a little bit sick uh, or was a little bit sick in that, um, I, I felt like I needed to be doing something all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and I felt this incredible responsibility. So it, it meant that other things were sacrificed. Um, I don't fully know what all those things were that were sacrificed, but I would, um, you know, work all day and then I I also um started my master's degree during that time and our our, my stepdaughters were in junior high and high school middle school and high school and uh you know my wife was working crazy crazy hours and finishing her doctorate at the same time so I would probably guess to say that the kids were impacted the most uh, by that and I really shouldn't be laughing at all um So it it, it was always about time management and Mm -hmm. some sacrifice and, but it didn't feel like work because of the people that I was working with. Mm -hmm. We had synergy. We believed in the same causes. It felt more like as I was building this foundation, like when we were having board meetings around my dining room table, these women were powerful women with amazing hearts and we were all on the same path. So it didn't, it it felt like that was the same as going out for a round of golf, if that
0: makes sense. You, I mean, so you had that going for about five years. And in that time, you um, moved to a new role um, at Capella University. You were getting your master's. uh, And you had the foundation and the girls are going through, you know, the life of middle school, high school, uh, students, girls in particular, um, yep. what drove you to Capella and, um, did you, did you feel, did, did you still feel included in the sports world while you were there?
1: Oh, wow. Awesome. Awesome question. And, um, I've actually thought a lot about this lately. Um, I, I went to Capella one because, um, I knew it was a great place to work at the time. Um, my wife had worked there for a little while and we overlapped like nine months. Um, and I knew it was a growing company. I knew it was, um, you know, it, it had a strong reputation and it would be a consistent, eight to five job, um, Mm -hmm. that I could invest in during that time, but I wouldn't have to take home with me. Um, as opposed to when I was coaching or when I was, um, working nights with Timberwolves and Lynx, um, this job would allow me the flexibility to have my evenings and weekends free. And so I knew I could make that happen. And then outside of those working hours, I was, you know, working on the foundation. Um, it, it, the people charged my battery there, the work itself did not. And so I was in conflict Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, constantly trying to find uh, the balance in that. Um, But I also know, I I heard the voice in my head many times that, you know, most people don't get to have their work be their passion or their life joy. And so I would kind of justify it with that and say, that's what you're doing in your recreational time.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. <laughs> I think, I think I understand that quite a bit, actually. Um,
1: yeah. I, when I was there, I um, yes, I, I was running the the foundation, and I had the kids uh, doing their thing, and my wife doing her thing, um, and I, you know, I had this full time job, and I had started my master's degree. Um, and then I decided I should start to learn how to write children's books. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I tried doing all of those things um, for a couple of years and and it wasn't working because I was, you know, only giving a small portion of myself to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had this amazing experience with um, a woman who came in to Capella and did a uh, finder training. Mm-hmm. And it was this workshop on really understanding how are you wired to be awesome? Like you are, everybody is wired to be awesome, but it, it takes knowing how you're wired to then be able to operate within your strengths, not always focusing on what to fix, but operate from your strengths. <laughs> And so she just, her name is Carrie Cunnington. I will love her till the day I die um, because she helped me see what do I really want? What do I want to make happen next? And at that time, I knew I wanted the grants to continue, but I knew I needed to make this children's book series come to life. And so I had to make some decisions on what would go to the wayside mm-hmm. so that I can truly operate from my strengths. And that's when I uh, merged Foundation 9 in with um, the Ann Bancroft Foundation, Uh, met with Ann and the board of directors and said, you know, I would like you to take my baby. You know, these Let Me Play grants are my baby, and I need you to love them and nurture them and help them grow. And I felt like I found a really good home for that grant program. And then I said, I know that. Uh, My master's degree has a seven-year time limit, so I'm going to put it on hold, but I always finish something I start. So I know I have, you know, this seven-year time limit before I need to come back and finish this degree. So I, I put it on hold and started working on the books.
0: As many of you handle the cold, wintry weather that's occurring in the United States right now, why not get out of that cold and follow your favorite baseball team to Arizona for Cactus League spring training? Plan that vacation now. Arizona's Cactus League and Greater Phoenix boasts 15 teams and 10 stadiums all within a 50 mile radius. Spring training is a ton of fun with lots of accessibility to players and you get a really true small ballpark feel. Um, When you're not at one of the ballparks you can wander around the city, go to some restaurants and bars. Apparently there are a bunch of craft breweries and there's so much incredible landscape. You can go on all sorts of different adventures like hiking and biking or some hot air balloons or maybe some skydiving if you're adventurous like me arizona has you covered for all of that and more if you want to bring your kiddos which spring training is so kiddo friendly um, arizona has tons of family-friendly resorts and hotels that offer plenty of fun for kids of all ages they have water parks and horseback rides and games and activities and As I've said before, spring training is the best. Um, You and your family and friends will never forget it. And it's freezing where you are now. I really don't care where you are. It's cold. It's cold here in Tampa. It's 40 degrees today. Um, You'll have so much fun. And like I said, spring training, ball games, and the atmosphere are just the absolute best. So get out your computer and start planning your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. That's visitarizona.com slash spring training. So where did the idea for the books come from? Like, when did that pop back into your mind as like, hey, I know that that nun said I shouldn't probably uh, have anything to do with elementary kids, but... uh."
1: Yeah, I happen to be... um visiting a elementary school um, and sitting in on a, a fifth grade classroom. Um, let's see. I can't remember which job this was, um, but I came across a scholastic book order form and that's the main point. And I thought to myself, God, you know, here I am working in, um, you know, women's professional basketball and I've got this nonprofit that's helping girls Play sports and millions of girls out there are playing sports. And God, I remember getting the Scholastic book order form and as a kid.
0: Oh my God, it was my favorite thing.
1: Was it? Yeah. What did you What did you like to pick out?
0: So, so I loved the book fairs, right? And. They would come to, like, I have a very vivid memories of going into the library where they would have the books set out on all the library tables that we could yeah. buy. And just, like, I loved it. It's I told you, like, I have a thing with books. And, yes. um, you know, I, I remember buying this one book. It was the first book that probably, like, really spoke to me. Called Tiger Eyes, Hmm. and um, what do you remember
1: about what you see? Or this, the
0: it's the it's the library, you know, and like the stacks, but then like all the books and having having money, yeah. And because I had, you know, picked out what I wanted to buy or, you know, thought I knew what I wanted to buy and my parents gave me the money, which didn't happen very often and, um, smelling the brand new books. Um, (laughs) and, and then this one book that I bought, the, the, um, protagonist in the book, her, her dad dies. Um, and so that spoke obviously deeply to me but like I'm in like maybe fourth grade yeah I think when I'm fourth or fifth grade I'm thinking I'm remembering but I used to, yeah I used to love them and I have a small book addiction so there's that
1: <laughs> is that where your book addiction started
0: probably yeah I mean I would <laughs> so like at the end of each school year um they would like Sell some of the old books for like a dollar or two. Yeah. Right. Like textbooks and stuff like that. I remember in seventh grade, I swear to God, this is the dorkiest thing I've ever talked about. Um, I bought an old algebra textbook. Wow. And like would sit. I had a, my, um, my closet in my bedroom had, an area of it that, like, was elevated and went back a little bit. Yeah. And so and so I made that, like, my cubby. And I would climb in my cl- – I swear to God. I would climb in my closet. And there was, I think, a little shelf there, too. And, like, that was my spot. And I wow. would – teach myself algebra like now I'm like I, math I don't want to do math I like ask my finance people to do very simple calculations it's really stupid but uh, <laughs> like I, like that's what I did that summer Wow this was after you saw the book after I bought high rise and really- yeah. yeah and I' always About- I'd always had like a very advanced reading level. Um, like I flew through in like, you know, in like second grade, you've got those like, um, reading levels, right. And you go through these, like, so I flew through all of that and was just have always been really good and liked reading, but that's the first book that tigerized book, um, which now I'm going to have to, I think they made it into a movie too. And it was so bad. I was so mad. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you want to preserve it in your mind as you remember it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But that book was the first one that I, like, had a true emotional connection to. And then, like, the next one, I think, was probably The Giver. Hmm. Oh, although I did like the um, Boxcar Children. I liked that one, too. Good. And, like, so, and then my favorite book of all time is um, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Oh, tell me more about that one. Again, her dad dies. Weird, uh-huh. weird theme. Yeah. Uh, you know, grows up in, in, a, in a tough situation. Um, and, you know, her and her, her brother have to, like, hawk metal and stuff like that. It's, like, set in the 20s, I think. Um, but she kind of gets out of that situation as she gets older. Like she goes to work for a factory, and then she goes to school, I think, or starts writing. Like somehow becomes a journalist. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> interesting themes, right?
1: Well, I mean, what what you just shared to me proves the absolute point um, about, and you know, literary scholars will be much more eloquent about this, but to me, it's about the connection. Um, If you can see yourself in books, you will be engaged in reading and that grows a love for reading this search for continuing to see yourself and be able to relate. And somebody might know a little bit about your story. Mm -hmm. Uh, It opens doors. It opens up imagination and creativity and, Oh, my life could go this way, or it could go this way, or you know, I, I can connect with that. Yeah. I never had that experience that you had. I did not like reading. No. I never saw myself in books. I was a sporty little tomboy with a band-aid on my knee and grass stains on my clothes and um bigger than all the kids and I looked like a boy and I got called a boy and I liked to play sports and there were Not, there was not one single book that I could relate to, um, except for like, you know, NBA's greatest dunks (laughs) because I could, you know, reenact that with a hanger on my closet door all day long, you know, and do the Dominique Wilkins, um, dunks. But, um, I, I dreamt of being Spud Webb because he was so short and I thought I could, I could dunk someday, um, or puppy posters you yeah. know because I had a dog you know th- those are my connections the end but I was not a princess I was not a girl on the prairie I wasn't interested in box card children um, I'm trying to remember the name of the book that my mom um, little little
0: women is that oh yeah no I never got into that
1: <laughs> yeah she tried mom <laughs> um, really tried um, and those were the books that she had put in front of me but I, I- wasn't happy yeah. And, and frankly, what, what I made her read to me at night was 101 knock, knock jokes <laughs> <laughs> and um, Fozzie bears book of side splitting jokes. Nice. Yeah. And poor, my poor mother, cause she had to do the punchlines all night long. <laughs> um, but I, I just couldn't relate and I didn't enjoy reading at a young age because of that. Um, so as I get this, my hands on the Scholastic book order form in 2006, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't imagine what's out there now. And then as I paged through, all I could find was a book about cheerleading and book about horseback riding that had a girl as the main character. Hmm. There were no hockey books. There was no girl playing basketball. There wasn't, it still didn't exist. And I was ticked about that. I couldn't believe it. It mm-hmm. was 2006, you know? And so I thought, what would I have wanted to read? Just brainstorming, you know, got a note, notepad in front of myself. What would I have wanted to read? And so I kind of played, I, I would have wanted to read about me. Somebody I could connect to, a, a little girl who likes to play sports. She's got a dog. She's got brothers and friends and she just likes to play and get rough and dirty. Like, so I just started outlining it and... And I kept checking back with these order forms to see, okay, now what's out there and still nothing. And so I decided, shoot, <laughs> you know, be the change you want to see in the world was right. the quote. And I was mad that I was going to have to be the person.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: Cause I didn't know how to write a children's book. And I'm pretty sure the nun at St. Ben's told me I wasn't good at it. <laughs> um. But that's when I, I started to get really serious about it and, um, you know, learn how. Start, you know, using my networking abilities to start asking people, how would you do this? Who should I be talking to? Um, what are the next steps that I need to take? How does this industry work? How, how do you write a kid's book? Right. I can't draw, you know. Um And so I spent a few years playing around with it. And then um, I did a Kickstarter campaign uh, and created my own publishing company. And uh, the feedback from people was, you need to do this. We believe it will work. Um, I collected rejection letters from agents and publishers saying, appreciate the idea. It's really cute. Good luck to you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I, I just decided... I guess
0: I, I need to be the one. So <clears throat> so much there. Um You okay. So you have these children's books now that you have self-published. They have drawings in them and they are not stick figures. Explain yourself. <laughs> I know when (laughs) to get out of my own way.
1: (laughs) I mean, I I think there's a new, new commercial out now, um, that has a guy doing a a tattoo for another guy, Uh, Yeah, yeah. you know, and he's like, uh, what do you mean? You're not, don't you mean you're the best tattoo artist in the area? And he's like, no. And he's like, don't you want to draw that out first? And the tattoo artist says stay in your lane, bro. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I, I can't draw that I, and I can't even pretend I, I don't even pretend like I'm actually a children's book author. Like I have needed so much help along the way. And I relate it to sports. I needed a team to help make this dream because it become a reality. Um, and so I talked to a few people, interviewed a few people and um, a woman by the name of Marika Heinlein uh, who lives in St. Paul, Minnesota um she took such great care and concern to get to know what it was that I was trying to convey um and she took my childhood photo album home and it took her weeks to come back with the image that is now in the books hmm. she she made shelly bean come to life and finally i could see myself um and without her initial talents, I, I don't know where this project would be. Um, she also helped connect me to some of the initial editors. And um, the first few books that we did together were um, were amazing um, because it, it was truly a team situation. I, I might have been the, the coach, the project manager, um, but I did not do this alone by any means.
0: So one thing I want to point out that you said, and that I am going to now be on you about is you said, I can't even pretend to be a children's book author. Well, you don't have to pretend because you are. So we're going to change that. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Yeah. It's a reality that, um, I don't know. It, it, sometimes it's really difficult for me to own because, well, that's probably a, a whole nother situation. Right. <laughs> you know, am I good enough? Right. But, but I think, I but 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 think I know a- I've got two letters here from uh, little girls in Virginia beach, Virginia, telling me that my books have mattered to them. I mean, I, I literally have the letter, letters sitting right here. So I, I know that I'm good enough. But it is, it's hard to, it's not what I imagined I would be as a kid. I thought maybe I'd be a professional baseball pitcher. Um, Maybe I'd be a professional basketball player. I definitely thought I would break all of Tony Dorsett's um, rushing records uh, in the NFL. Um, But I did not think that I would be writing kids' books because I didn't like to read.
0: Right. Well, and, you know, I think one of the things that, I've heard this from a few different authors is, you know, it, it, the word author, right. And being the creator of this book is kind of a misnomer because it does take so many people involved. Right. Like, but that's not just you. That's every single book author in the world, except for some people who self publish and just don't give a fuck. Um, but like it takes a lot of people and you know that because you see all the acknowledgments at the end. Right. So, um, I would like for you to embrace the word author. Yeah. And just own it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I agree. I agree. It's pretty amazing. Um, and I know what it means is that, uh, words and and images and emotions that are being conveyed are being received by other people that's it you know it it doesn't mean that it has to be a new york times bestseller to be considered an author it it wrote words created a, a a movement and it matters
0: um
1: and it's true it's true
0: what um Oh god, I want to ask you so many questions about like logistical, but I am not going to do that because that will take us far off course and take forever. Um, we'll talk about that another time. Um, one of the things that you mentioned early on, I said we would get back to, is the, the you know the idea of everybody being able to see themselves in these books, and you and. Um, your team have done a, a great job of this. Um, not only is there a cute pupparoo, um, but there are, there's so much diversity and, and not just, um, racial and gender diversity, but you also have, um, uh, a young boy in a, a wheelchair, um, yeah. and it, And I will bring it back to, um, a little bit of, um, uh, religious diversity. You have a a young woman who wears a hijab. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, so cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's, she's playing sports, right? And that's Parisa. Um, Parisa loves to swim. She's actually of, of all the characters, um, the most adventurous, um, willing to try anything. And like, she's going to be, you know, I'm I'm working on a cartoon series too. And and she's, she's going to be the one on the dirt bike that's going off the jumps, Mm -hmm. you know, when everybody else is just trying to learn how to ride a bike. Um, yeah. And, and Mason, um, yeah, he lives his life, um, significant amount of time in a wheelchair, but he, he can swim. He can play basketball. He teaches Shelly Bean how to shoot a basketball. Mm-hmm. He's, he's one of the kids, um, just like <laughs> any other kid. You walk into an elementary school or in the, you know, in the neighborhood, all these kids exist, and we need to see them, and we need to help them see themselves. And um, I, don't, I don't pretend to know that I know everything or that I'm even doing it right but it needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so I'm willing to make mistakes along the way to make sure that it happens. Um, Maya is Shelly Bean's best friend and Maya is um, so important in her life. And it's so important that kids can see Maya uh, on the cover of the books uh, as an African-American female doing her thing. Um, So, yeah, it's, and I also, um, like in the basketball book uh, or in the baseball book, trying to have Shelly beans um, parents in some different roles um, that might be a little bit outside the norm, um, such as he's serving dinner, you know, and he's doing the laundry kind of thing just to let's flip the script a little bit. I think that's, (laughs)
0: it's so smart and thoughtful. Um, Now, I have questions about the Pupparoo. What is his name, her name, its name, and does the pup play sports?
1: (laughs) All right. So Shelly Bean's dog (laughs) is Spike. Spike uh, was my dog when I was writing these books. Mm -hmm. Spike was sitting on my lap. He was down at my feet. He was... Biting me. He was just a little rat terrier, man. Oh my gosh. Um, but he was my buddy and uh, he was our family dog. Um, so Spike died um, just mm-hmm. after the first three books were published. Um, so now he lives on forever. And that is exactly what he looked like. Uh, Marika, <laughs> you know, drew him up to look like the real guy, just scruffy. Um, He's, he's up to no good. So he likes to get into mischief. So, um, you know, in the the baseball book or the the catch book, he's, he catches the eye of a chipmunk. And you'll see throughout the pages that um, when Shelly Bean's playing catch, he's actually treeing the chipmunk, um, you know, and trying to chase it down and the chipmunk's getting away. And so he's always in the background kind of up to something mischievous. Um, in the skating book, he like goes out on the ice and, you know, falls down on all four legs and belly bean, you know, she's just on two. So he's, he's flattened out on the ice, but he's also there when she is frustrated and upset and doesn't want to keep skating. He's licking the tears off her face. Mm -hmm. And I had that dog, uh, growing up, uh, her name was Mitzi. (laughs) She was a Chesapeake. Um so big big hunting dog, but she was actually the runt of the litter so she' was a little bit smaller for a chesapeake. Um, but she never once spent a night inside. She lived in her dog house and in her kennel outside but she would chase me on my bike anytime we were snowmobiling or bike riding or in the woods or if I was shooting hoops, she was always right there even if she was sleeping in the snowbank, sleeping in the grass, I felt like she was one of my greatest um, basketball shooting form critics. Uh, <laughs> so if it was just me and Mitzi outside shooting hoops, and I'd you know miss a few shots in a row, I'd look at her, and there's just this look in her eye. Like I knew she was saying, "Tuck your elbow in," you know. <laughs> she, she knew. She knew. So Spike <laughs> is replacing Mitzi, kind of. In
0: oh my god! Um, yeah. I'm so sorry to hear about Spike, um, but thank you for sharing about. He and Mitzi because they sound like they were great little dogos. Yeah. Um, And of course I'm I I just love animals so much. So you have a dog? No, I have a cat. Um, I grew so here's the thing with me. I grew up with cats, dogs, there were rabbits and a hamster, and it was like a whole it was a whole thing. Um, I love all animals that are not reptilian or bugs. Yeah. Um I don't care about those ones I'm sorry yeah. but um, I when I was in Massachusetts before I moved down here I was um, volunteering at an animal shelter and working with the dogs um, I had the cats at home and um, for me at this stage of my life and kind of how you know I still don't feel super settled um, having cats is a little bit easier Um yeah. And I've been very fortunate that, um, so the first cat that I had, not like with my family, Simon, um, was with me until this past April. Um, yeah, I got him in law school. He was a runaway that I adopted and, um, he Was the sweetest, most handsome orange boy you'd ever seen. Um, Mm -hmm. people called him puppy, uh, because he would just like follow me around like a little puppy. And like I said, he's super sweet. He'd come to the door when I got home. Um, and then, um, about six years ago, um, I adopted Zoe, and Zoe's a little bit skittish at first, but, also super sweet, very vocal. sometimes you'll hear her on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> she made an appearance today while we were talking, and that was because she knocked down my microphone um, but she's making she, herself known Oh, yeah, she's like, you're boring me."
1: There was something she was connecting
0: with, clearly. Yeah, Um, Yeah. but sometimes you'll hear her chirp in the background, and again, super sweet. They're they're not standoffish like other cats Hmm. can be, and they don't have that moodiness, although she is definitely very judgy, and when you were talking about Mitzi and the look in her eye, I get that sometimes when I'm like dancing around my apartment, and I look at Zoe, and she's saying, You're the whitest human being I've ever seen. Stop dancing. (laughs) Judging. Yeah. Judging. You are not good at that. Do not show other people this. (laughs) Um, But so, yeah, I, you know, we had um, a beagle and a beagle basset growing up. And I am that person who I ask literally every dog owner I see with a dog, if I could say hi to their dog. Yeah. Yeah, And make eye contact with the dog and not the person. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. I, no, I can relate. <laughs> yeah. so. We we just moved and um, our dear friends who are our neighbors for a decade um, have a golden retriever named Isabel. And, and one of my favorite things to do almost every day was to go to the fence and say hi to Isabel. So once in a while I have to go back to their house and say hi because mm. she was a golden retriever and she saw me. Yeah, I yeah, get I get it.
0: I get it. Uh, my friends have, uh, I don't even know what he is, but he's really sweet. Um I, I couldn't even pretend to guess what he is. And I'll go over to their house, and I'm just sitting on the floor with Jax, and they're, you know, talking to me, and I'm kind of talking back at them, but really I'm, like, interacting with Jax. <laughs> 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 oh, boy. Anyway. Well, uh,
1: very true of you.
0: <laughs> Can you, um, there's... Uh, there are quite a few consistent themes, you know, throughout your books, obviously but there's one really interesting piece of it and that's Shelley Bean's crown. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that?
1: Um, th- there's a, a few different reasons for her having a crown. Um, one uh, is that I want kids to be able to connect with um, an example of how they can acknowledge themselves And um, the crown is one way of doing that. So at the end of every story, Shelly Bean's not good at sports. When she first tries them, she falls down a lot. She gets frustrated, but she always gets back up and tries again. Sometimes it's on her own. And sometimes it's because another person is encouraging her. Um, But at the end of every day, she plops down on her bed with her trusty dog, Spike, and she reflects on her day. Like, what did I accomplish today? What was hard for me? Um, what am I proud of? And at the end of each story, she has learned a new sport. And that's the thing that she's proud of accomplishing. So she rewards herself by making a new sports charm for her crown. It's like a jewel of accomplishment. So she's not a pretty princess. She doesn't have sparkly jewels on her crown. She has these jaggedy little You know, I think about my craft skills, Mm -hmm. Uh, his jaggedy little soccer ball or basketball or an ice skate or, you know, baseball mitt. Those are the little charms that she makes for her crown because she's proud of what she's accomplished. Um, When I was, I mean, obviously, I loved playing sports. I still love playing sports. Um, My name growing up was Shelly Breen. And my senior year of high school, I was crowned the homecoming queen. Um, so I was Shelly Breen, the Homecoming Queen. She's Shelly Bean, the Sports Queen. So there's some, you know, overlap there. It's really a book about me. It's very self-serving.
0: Hey, gotta work on that inner child, right? <laughs> That's right. Got it.
1: <laughs> Got it. You know, and and in the in the creation of. This book series, um, I, I truly had a healing experience that I wasn't looking for. I didn't expect. Um, but when when Shelly Bean, the sports queen, when the book series came to life, and that was the, the title of my Kickstarter, you know, was about helping Shelly Bean come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a new place in me that came to life um, and it was unexpected um, but the connection was that she's about six or seven years old. And um, when I was that age, I had some really, really traumatic things happen to me um, as a kid. I, it's when I started to be sexually abused. Um, and it's, I got hit by a car and had yeah. a, a severe concussion. Um, it was a really bad time period for me. Yeah. Um, and it caused the rest of my childhood to always be looking over my shoulder Um, looking for a safe place, looking for safe people. And it really tampered my ability to just play freely. Um, And so when the books came to life, it was like me saying to my little self, go play, just go play. And don't worry about what people think of you. Don't worry about looking different. Don't worry about whether or not you're safe. Just go be free and play like you always wanted to when I started writing the books I did not intend for that to be the situation so that was the beauty of becoming an author was having that that transformation it was was, was amazing
0: I uh, I love when people can find something in their life that you know helps them in their healing process opens them more, um, to like, you know, their purpose, I guess. Um, and in a way that like also helps others, um, which you have clearly done with these books and I hope you continue to do so. Um, what's, what's on, what's on tap. You've got, um, you're working on a cartoon series. You said, Yeah,
1: you know, my goal is to get every child in the world to be able to see Shelly being the sports queen as a role model. So um, all I want is world domination.
0: Okay, normal.
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah. So um, no bones about it. um, And I would like to make money in the process. I'm not going to be apologetic about that either. Mm -mm. Um, So... In order to get um, Shelly Bean in front of more kids, I believe um, one, I'm still can continue to be to partnering with other publishers um, because I know that there's a greater um, wheel that can be you know used to generate more books, more opportunity, more exposure as a self published author. Um, you know, I'm limited in where I can place the books. I'm limited in my marketing. I am my finance. I am my marketing. I am my PR. I am my booking agent. Um, So I'm looking to grow that. I've written, I've got the outlines for 16 more books, uh, 25 outlines for after book series, um, which I don't really know how to do, but I'm, I'm working on that. And then um, I really want to get Shelly Bean on the screen. Um, That's that's where the exposure it's now is absolutely the right time. Um, When you look at the she is challenge and, you know, see her, uh, the media that we like, you know, all these great hashtags. Um, I want Shelly Bean and her cast of characters to be on the screen in front of as many kids as possible, sharing this amazing message through play. Um, Because if we can connect with these kids at a young age, they are growing up with a strong female role model. And 50% of my readers are boys. And when I do a school visit, I I just did one this past Monday, a week ago. Um, Just as many boys were asking me questions as girls were. Um, Just as many boys bought books after I was done as girls did. More boys started following me on Instagram. I love my new fourth graders uh, from <laughs> Elementary in Andover, Minnesota. Um, I get I get letters, um, you know, hashtag We Connect. I get letters from these kids um, from around the country. Uh, saying what Shelly Bean means to them, which just tells me we're doing the right thing, but we got to reach more kids. Yeah. And so that's what I'm all about. So I've never written a cartoon series before, just like I'd never written a book before, just like I'd never owned a business before. Like, just like Shelly Bean had never played basketball or ice skating, you know, everything is I'm doing for the first time and I'm going to screw up and I'm going to get in my own way, but I'm going to get back up and try again. And so I'm I'm purely on a quest for world domination with Shelly bean
0: yeah see you tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, how can people get in touch follow along you know buy the book that whole books multiple yeah. all of them yeah. buy all the books
1: Buy all the books. Um, so Shelly Bean the sportsqueen.com. Is the website. That's where people can get um, the five books in the series. We have posters. You can join the fan club, um, which we have a, a growing fan club. It's been really exciting. Um, also uh, at Sport Shelly on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Shelly Bean the Sports Queen. Um, I'm very much interested in partnering with people uh, in getting in front of kids. Um, to share the message of Shelly being the sports queen. One of my favorite things about all of this is being able to do author visits. So I travel around the country in the last three years, I've talked to over 45,000 kids. Wow. Um, it's been amazing. Such a gift. I'm very much interested in partnering with people um, who, you know, have the ability to connect me with uh, publishers, with um Making sure that we get the word out that it's important that we get this on the screen. Um, the books are also available on Amazon as well.
0: Very cool. Which is better for you?
1: ShellyBeInTheSportsQueen dot
0: com is better for everyone. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to point that out. Amazon <laughs> takes a chunk, so
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and it's it, yeah, I, I've designed it that way as well.
0: Cool. Um, all right. Well. Thank you for being on the podcast and for telling us about your vision, your life, and Shelly Bean.
1: Thank you for having me on the podcast, and thanks for having this podcast. I, I think that what you are doing in sharing people's stories, specifically on the topics, um, was a risk, and it was brave, and I'm really glad you're doing it and glad that I could be a part of it.
0: Thank you so much to Shelly for coming on the pod on what is a day off for most people. I really appreciated it. And uh, Shelly's been great. I mean, she she had me uh, in email threads with like some really amazing people who are coming on the pod. And I'm very grateful to her for that. Um, And then like on a personal note, you know, she and I have connected a lot off the air and um, I'm really happy to have her part of our LTPF tribe make sure that you are checking us out on social on Facebook Twitter and Instagram at LTPF pod you can join our private Facebook group at um, just search for leveling the playing field group on Facebook and then make sure you're subscribing to the pod on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher and tune in you can also share with your friends that would be fun right show notes are available at radioinfluence.com and in we're getting close to the reveal um you if you've gone to the LTPF pod website you've seen some incremental changes and we're we're getting real close to the redesign being uh completely done so um all of those will be on that website in the next few weeks I believe And then this episode was written and produced by myself, editing, audio engineering, and design were by Jerry P. Tuck at Radio Influence. And leveling the playing field is part of the Radio Influence Network.
1: This is a crush performance quick fix on radio influence. Everywhere we look, there are these storied franchises and organizations that just seem to have it together. Well, what goes on inside of those organizations? Where did they come from? How did they get there? That's going to be the conversation today as we talk with high performance strategist Brandon Marcello. You can check his information out at Brandon com. I wanted to get Brandon on to address this early in the season as it's one of our overlying themes. We're also going to spend a lot of time this year talking about recovery and sleep. It's our number one priority for human performance. So inside of those cultures, we have to make sure that we're taking care of the individuals that make these things tick. And if we're not doing a good job there, well, flat out, bottom line is your organization can't be successful. Crush Performance with Jeff Cruschel can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play and RadioInfluence.com.